What is up, beautiful Dynasty Leaguers? Welcome back to the Dynasty Dynamic. I'm your host, Max Cascons, joined as always by Tyler Boyd's hype man, aka the Run DMC, aka Mr. Dan McAuliffe. Dan, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, Max. This is a fun time right now. It's post-NFL uh, draft, so you start to see a lot of startups, a lot of rookie drafts going on. I know uh, you and I have both had a couple going on there, and that's actually going to be a, a topic of discussion for today. So uh, always a fun season post-NFL draft. You get to see where people are and uh, get to start to uh, actually talk about those players. Well, we brought in the right heavyweights to have today's conversation, right? So we, we finally tracked them down. After ditching us weeks after weeks, we have the DFF Moose, uh, Dynasty Polls aficionado here. We were all in a startup together recently, and I figured what better way to uh, kick off startup and rookie draft season than to talk about that. So DFF Moose, welcome to the show, buddy. Thank you very much, Max. I'm very happy to be here. Sorry, I, uh, you know, I'm a very busy man. have a lot, a lot going on. had to reschedule. had to have my... Uh, my assistant book book time and time again so i'm very glad to be here you guys are part of my my real family uh part of my dynasty family and i'm pumped to just get talking about some players that i love and hate yes sir a lot of grass to eat for the moose a lot of dynasty polls to throw out i get it man i get it so (laughs) um we were all in a startup like i said um we're gonna go run through a bunch of that stuff today i know there was some stuff that you guys loved some stuff that you guys hated Um, But most importantly, just to set the stage, this was a 14-team, super flex, tight end premium startup on Sleeper, the only place to play Dynasty Fantasy Football. So true, 100%. And a little wrinkle here, six-point passing touchdowns for quarterbacks. So let's keep that in mind when we run through this stuff. Awesome. Let's do it. I'm ready. So let's jump right into it, boys. First of all, credit to friend of the show, Mr. Wes Caparato for bringing a bunch of degenerates together, putting together a great 14-team league. Um, Before we jump into love-hate on some of the picks, I'd love to just get 30 to 60 seconds of what was your strategy going into this draft. So, Dan, let's kick it at you and just tell me what the thought, you know, the thoughts you outlined getting ready for the draft. Yeah, for sure. So I had the uh, the pleasure of having the 14th slot in this particular uh, draft. So had to kind of switch it up a little bit. And I really started to think about I'm going to be targeting high upside potential guys. Uh, so for example, I ended up maybe even reaching a little bit, but for my wide receiver one in Dynasty, AJ Brown, love him so much. Um, and immediately found out, you know what, I got to pair that with a running back. So I went with DeAndre Swift. I kind of locked in two spots that I wanted to easy and then uh, just kind of wanted to see where the rest of the draft fell. So I, in particular, this was a tight end premium league. Um, I love the tight end position, but I ended up punting uh, just way to way later rounds to see if I could grab some value. And I feel like I was able to. Uh, and also in this draft in particular, 14 team super flex uh qbs i was not leaving a draft without at least three of them uh, and was able to accomplish that as well so uh plenty of other picks along the way but felt like overall i stuck to my guns and was able to target some guys that i'm excited about for the next five to ten years uh instead of having some guys where i feel like immediately i'm already kind of looking at a cliff so i'm excited it's a it's a fun team and it's going to be really fun to see how it plays out this season well, I'm, gra- I'm glad I'm rubbing off on you with the potential there. So it was nice to see a little change up. Yeah, let's, exactly. Uh, let's flip it over to, and we'll start using his real name now, Mr. DFF Moose. Mike, let's talk a little bit about your early thoughts on the draft and the strategy you put together. 
Yeah, so I actually had the pleasure of being given the 101 in this uh, startup draft. You know, this is my first startup draft in about three or four years now. This is um, my second Dynasty League. So, you know, I came into this first Superflex League as well, definitely wanting to nail down the QB position. So I had thought about trading out of that 101, but I just couldn't come up with any reasonable reasons to not draft a 25-year-old absolute stud uh, quarterback in Patrick Mahomes. So... Uh, you know, from that point on, I definitely wanted to be able to put together a team that can compete this year, you know, uh, definitely with the goal of being in the top third of the league or even top half of the league in uh, in points per game. Um, so I definitely, I would say that towards the middle rounds, I was definitely trying to identify guys that had very high upside, but also, uh, you know, low floors that you, d definitely focusing on guys that are on the younger side. Wanted to make sure that I put together a sustainable team, but I would definitely say that towards, you know, once we started to get towards the uh, the later rounds, you're talking uh, ninth, tenth rounds, I was probably taking some guys that other people were shying away from that wanted some more potential guys that I felt like could have monster years falling to that, uh, you know, ADP. And the thing is that people seem to forget with startups is that you can always trade these guys midseason. So, you know, if you draft the talent, and you feel like you're uh, trying to compete and they hit, then that's great and you could win yourself a championship. Or if you you know, you know see that you're kind of falling out of contention, you have some value guys that you're going to be able to flip for some good future draft picks. So that was kind of my, my idea heading into this draft. Yeah, I love how Dan's complaining about his uh, his first round pick because I didn't even have a first round pick. Okay, so uh, I I kind of played this draft. You made that uh, decision. My goal, yeah, by choice. <laughs> yeah, my goal was to uh, trade down in this draft as much as possible. Uh, I've made some mistakes in larger leagues over the years, uh, and I've watched enough people trade up into oblivion to know that trading down is definitely the move. Um, you know, so I traded out of the first round, and uh, really the goal was just to keep letting my league mates screw up in front of me. And boy, did they. Um, so I was able to move back a whole bunch, take a lot of shots in the mid rounds, take guys that in my eyes might be going in the third, fourth and fifth rounds of startups now, but could easily be going in the first, second, third round next year. Right. So really yeah. productive struggle team, as they like to call it. Um, not playing for this year, although I wouldn't be surprised if some of these guys hit and I'm slightly competitive uh, looking towards the future. So Getting back to the first couple rounds, though, right? Because that's where that's where you really see a lot of interesting moves made in these startups. One pick that I think stood out to everybody that's on the mics right now is Trevor Lawrence going at the two ten, and that was yeah. to Mike's team. Um, you know, Trevor Lawrence. It was so interesting in a fourteen team super flex to see him QB six off the board, right? Usually, you have these guys that are lauded as these prodigies i mean they're going in the first round so to see him fall out of the first round altogether a guy that has the mobility the accuracy the decision making and let alone he goes to jacksonville and gets the weapons he's got chenault he's got shark he's got my guy travis etn mike how happy were you what well, how big was that smile on your face to know that you could trade into the second round again and grab trevor lawrence at the 210 there's no doubt that i was absolutely pumped and you kind of just made the case for me as to exactly why i made that move there's reasons why this guy is so highly touted coming out of college absolutely dominant all throughout college people have been talking about this kid since high school uh he has the weapons he has a new coach uh and as we talked about this this guy has definitely been in most drafts that I'm seeing for even 12 team leagues he's going in the late first early second like clockwork 
So as I said, you know, I had drafted Patrick Mahomes at the 101. Uh, at that point, like I said, I wanted to put together a competitive team, but I also wanted to kind of let the draft develop in front of me. And once I saw that Lawrence had fallen that far, I sprung for it and I gave up a first uh, to you. Let's clarify that this this trade was between Max and I uh, <laughs> and, you know, kind of betting on myself that I'm going to do well this year by trading that first as well as trading back. Uh, I think it was a fifth and a seventh as well, something like that. Uh, so definitely gave up a decent amount. But I wholeheartedly believe that at this point with Trevor Lawrence, that's a position that I'm not – Trevor Lawrence and Pat Mahomes, that's a position I'm not going to have to even worry about for the next five, six years. So – Definitely. Well, that makes one of us that hopes your team performs well this year. Because I certainly reap the benefits. Yeah, I certainly reap the benefits if it doesn't. But um, so going from a golden boy to uh, somebody who fell from grace in the college ranks and also, you know, has been an interesting case with his first, you know, year in the NFL, last year being his rookie year. Dan, I know Jalen Hurts at the 401 was definitely on your radar. Why don't you talk to me a little bit about Mr. Jalen Hurts? Yeah, so Jalen Hurts, again, I, I think you've seen me, you've, you've started to make the pitch on him, and I've slowly, I've always liked him. You and I were actually texting each other um, when the last draft was going around, uh, being like, oh, man, what if Hurts goes to the Patriots? Like, wouldn't that be so cool? Like, we love this guy. Uh, then he kind of gets buried behind Wentz, and I wasn't the biggest Wentz fan, but I was still like, all right, I, I, let's see what happens there. And sure enough, he was able to get the the starting gig, uh, mostly due to, A, some underperformance uh, by Wentz, and also some great performance by him. So I, I love him as a quarterback. There's just too many question marks for me around Jalen Hurts, uh, the kind of the way that's being structured right now. To see some of the guys he was going ahead of, I, I don't feel like risk was factored into his price at the 401 there because for example he went ahead of trey lance trey lance you had a team that traded up to be able to with multiple firsts to be able to go get him like you know his he's going to be locked in for the next few years as a starting quarterback whereas jalen hurts has kind of like found his way in a starting quarterback job right now which is fantastic and i honestly i think if the eagles actually give him that opportunity he's going to excel but I do worry about the Eagles front office doing Eagles things and all of a sudden them bringing in and overpaying for a Deshaun Watson to come in uh, or for them to give Joe Flacco, who's on the team, way more snaps than he actually should get. Like, I, I just worry about that team and the way that uh, they, they conduct themselves sometimes. Whereas if you're going to take him at the 401 ahead of guys like Trey Lance or even just any of the other rookie quarterbacks, I... I feel like there's a potential where you could have a fourth round pick start to disappear halfway through the season if things go awry. So I love the player. I'm not going to knock him for that. Uh, and if he does get the full opportunity, you probably see a top 10 to top five quarterback with his rushing ability. It's fantastic. But in that situation at the 4-1, I, I can't take it. Yeah, it's interesting because I felt like in general – especially for a 14 team league, the quarterbacks as a whole, as a group fell yeah. um, more than they mm -hmm. usually do in some of these startups. So I'm fine with the pick. I do agree with your point about like, there's no downside risk being built into the price at the start of the fourth round. Yeah. Uh, but I, but I do like Jalen hurts. I believe in Jalen hurts. Probably the best call I've made in the history of this show was last September when we were talking about mm -hmm. Jalen hurts. Right. So um, that's an interesting one, though, that you mentioned Deshaun Watson in the same breath and that possible trade because a, a pick that I know Mike liked. And keep in mind, this draft, you know, had been going on for a while. I think we started at Mother's Day. So apologies to all the mothers out there. <laughs> um, but, you know, 
Deshaun Watson goes at the 410. This is in the middle of nobody having any idea what's going on with Deshaun Watson. Now, do we still know what's going on? Not really, but we have maybe a little bit more clarity that he might not be in as bad a situation as as we thought he might be for fantasy purposes. So, Mike, talk to me a little bit about, you know, Deshaun Watson coming off the board at the 410. Yeah, totally. I mean, we saw him come off. He was the uh, QB 15 off of the board. Uh, you know, we're talking about a guy that has finished as the QB five for three years straight. Mr. Consistency. Um, you know, I, I obviously there is so much still up in the air with him. Uh, two weeks ago, I thought there was absolutely no way that he was going to start this season or even play at all this season. Uh, now it seems like there might be uh, some developments that it might not be so bad. We know that the NFL is not afraid of handing down punishment uh, to players, even if they don't get actual, any actual criminal charges against them. Uh, you know, you saw Zeke get uh, some some games suspended there when he was uh, in some, some deep water. So uh, there's no doubt that he could miss some time. Even if he misses a year, I think in a 14-team Superflex league, for someone to take that gamble is completely worth it. I was absolutely considering it if he had fallen any further to me at the it would have been the 514 so I would be absolutely shocked if that had happened uh but you know this is a startup uh the man's how old is he 25 years old I want to say Deshaun Watson um so you know if he misses this season yeah it stinks but I think that he can easily bounce back it's a guy that's always eaten no matter what uh, people were afraid when DeAndre Hopkins left that that was going to be some huge hindrance to him. The man finished number one in passing yards last year. So uh, I think there's no doubt that even if this guy gets traded, there's the there's the thought of that as well as we just talked about. I think no matter what, he's an elite talent that will, uh, you know, he can absolutely put up top five numbers for the next five years, at least if he if he gets through what he's going through right now. So. Yeah, the upside is absolutely real with him. Just a quick note for everybody. We are not lawyers at the Dynasty Dynamic, and we are not PR departments. We are weighing in strictly for fantasy purposes. I have no idea what happened with Deshaun Watson off the field. And the only thing I'm going to know is whether he plays games or doesn't eventually. But speaking of QBs falling, it, it wound up really being a trend throughout this entire draft because, Dan, you know, we talked leading up to, you know, the NFL draft about a lot of rookie QBs and the ones we liked and how we were really pushing these guys up in Superflex rookie drafts. They fell, I think, further than either of us would have anticipated in a startup. Absolutely. Yeah, it was it was kind of crazy. And, and there were two in particular uh, that I think you and I were both stoked about because they ended up being our picks. Um, but some of the rookie QBs that were not Trevor Lawrence ended up falling into a, to good situations uh, with us on the board there. And it was Mac Jones and Zach Wilson that fell uh, in particular to the 611 and 612 respectively, uh, making them the QB 21 and QB 22 off the board. That is crazy to me. You're literally at that point, they're being valued as like high end QB threes for guys who are both drafted in the top 15 picks of the NFL drafts. Like these are guys that I do believe are easily locked in for two to three years, uh, provided they're able to produce just given their draft capital alone. So to be able to pick up those guys, and it was funny because they were both falling. And I thought I, uh, me being at the turn with the, uh, the six twelve and the seven Oh one, I thought I was going to be able to smash both of them. But of course 
Max being in my head was able to take one of them off the board ahead of me. So uh, that is just crazy. And I honestly am very curious if that's going to be happening in other uh, startups, just because you see so many kind of qualified quarterbacks with this class in particular that I think you're going to see like the most popular ones, your Trey Lance's, your Tre- Trevor Lawrence's uh, be taken a little bit earlier. And then you're going to see these guys kind of like fall down further than they should. Uh, and it's just great value there. So I was stoked to see him. Yeah, it's interesting you noted that because I wound up with a pair of rookie quarterbacks coming out of this draft. So I was able to grab Trey Lance in the fourth round. Um, and then I was able to swing back and get Mac Jones, take, you know, pull the rug yep. out from under you uh, on the turn and grab <laughs> Mac Jones. And I mean, it's interesting because there was some weird QB runs in this draft where not as many went early as I thought would have. And then like rounds three to four, it kind of went a little crazier than I anticipated. And by the time it cooled off, Dan and I reaped the benefits. I mean, Mac Jones is coming off of setting the single season completion record in the NCAA, right? And this is in the 2020 COVID year, which keep in mind, this is all conference play, right? He's not lighting up some bum teams. Like this is all SEC competition. Zach Wilson, I think I've been, you know, I've, I've told the listeners a little bit about my problems with Zach Wilson and maybe some of the holes I see in his game. Still, I mean, the guy goes 102 in the draft. Yeah. He's getting chances. This is somebody that, you know, had a 97th percentile yards per attempt in college, has been lauded for his ability to make plays outside the pocket. And he lands in New York, which maybe isn't the New York Jets that we've always thought of with the Rex Ryan rah-rah built for defense. I mean, he's throwing to Denzel Mims. They got Elijah Moore. They got Dan's boy, Corey Davis. We'll see what field time (laughs) he sees. Um, I mean, it's, it's a good situation. Both these rookie quarterbacks, I think, are walking into good situations. And to see them fall this far, I agree. As soon as I saw Mac Jones on the board, I think I broke my thumb trying to make the pick on my phone. Love it. So bunch of rounds later, we get to a person circled on the show notes that when I when I texted you guys, I was like, who do you want to talk about? It was like dot 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 Jameis Winston, both at the same time. So Jameis Winston, Mike, I'm gonna kick it to you. Um, but, but Dan, feel free to jump in here as well. QB 29 coming off the board at the very end of the 10th round. What, what's the upside here, boys? Talk to me about Jameis Winston. Yeah. I mean, I can go first. I know that I was probably eyeing him for two rounds prior to when he actually went. I was texting some of my other buddies in the league, uh, just saying, you know, I I see, I see someone on the board right now that is screaming value. Uh, and you know, it's, he went QB 29 off the board. So this is a guy that just two seasons ago had finished as the QB four in the infamous uh, 30 and 30 season. Uh, We've talked about that enough, or you guys have talked about that enough. You know, uh, he proved that you do not need to be efficient uh, to be a very, very relevant fantasy player. We are playing for fake points here. We don't care what happens on the field. We, you know, especially if you're in a, uh, in a league that only has minus one point per interception, you were totally fine that year. So, uh, long story short, I think he went right around where he should have. Uh, but to you know, Dan- Daniel, as for you, he was your QB four, no, and to have him yeah. fall to you like that, and to be able to not have to rely on him. But if he hits, he has top twenty, top fifteen value, depending on how much he, what he has in the tank. 
We don't yeah. know, you know. Heck, he has top five. We've seen what he was able to do uh, in that season with the Bucks. Like, it, it, the upside is insane. And the changes he's been able to have along the way, uh, the boy got LASIK. So we're hoping that he can see a little bit more than he was in uh, previous seasons. Dan loves the LASIK. <laughs> I love it. I love Problem it. Solved. I, I follow him on Instagram. I see him putting in the work. He's one of my favorites. And I can't quite tell you why. Do you beyond... see him putting in his contacts? Exactly. You never see that, though. <laughs> and uh, honestly, you, you want to be able to have good tutelage, too right and so to be able to learn under mr consistency uh drew Brees, i i don't think he's ever gonna abandon the throw it up and pray that your your wide receiver comes down with that approach um but i think he's probably picked up a couple things along the way too and Taysom hill anyone that mentions him absolutely is he going to be worked in annoyingly enough that's probably going to eat into some work for james winston yes um but i do not see him as a starting quarterback uh, for the long haul with this team. I think they're going to put him in great special packages. I think you're going to see him do some nice kind of rushing ability. But I think I last looked that his like total attempts um, for most seasons, you can count on both hands uh, for his total throws uh, that he has each season. I just, I'm not scared. And I think the upside is way too great um, for Jameis Winston going into the next few seasons with the Saints. So let's close out the quarterback position, Dan. You mentioned this earlier. But just having depth at the quarterback position in a super flex league, in, yeah. in even a 12 team, let alone a 14 team. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, how you believe in that depth and the importance of coming out of a startup with a certain number of quarterbacks. I, Max, I believe in math at this point, And it's it just I take a look at it and the, there are 32 teams uh, in the NFL. So you're going to assume generally 32 uh, starting quarterbacks there so you take 14 teams and if it's super flex you're going to see a lot of people wanting two quarterbacks to be able to uh, fill up both of those positions both the quarterback and the super flex uh, so you're talking about 28 quarterbacks right there um, so that leaves only four startable quarterbacks as your QB threes remaining uh, unless injuries happen like that depth uh, gets eaten up so quick and so if you don't have a QB3, basically on bye weeks immediately, you're forced to playing a, a, a high upside player, which, of course, could probably have some of the QB production, but it's going to be a lot harder to be able to get that. And if you have one of your guys get injured uh, during the season uh, as a quarterback, good luck. You're paying, playing a high upside person uh, in your super flex spot pretty much the, the whole entirety of the season. Like, that's not a position I want to be in. Instead, a position I'd like to be in is having four quarterbacks so that when inevitably, because it happens every year, someone gets injured, all of a sudden their price is skyrocketing. So uh, certainly you got to pick your guys like I'm, I'm not advocating for picking a QB one and then having your th uh, QB two, three and four be like no no actual draft capital types of guys like or backup quarterbacks like you need starting quarterbacks to be able to make this strategy work but i just feel so strongly that it's there's such thing as scarcity and you want to own the supply when you know the demand is going to be there I mean, I was able to get the starting quarterback for the Steelers, Dwayne Haskins, in the last round of the draft. So, I mean, we, you know, quarterbacks, the depth matters. Um, but let's, uh, as much as you guys loved the Jameis Winston pick, um, there was a player that you both equally circled on the hate side of things. So let's flip over to the running back position. And Dan, I'm going to kick it back to you. Talk to me a little bit about Derrick Henry going at the 109 with Saquon and Kamara still on the board, let's try to reason this one out as a team, okay? So yeah, we, we can try and reason it out, but I, I don't know if we're going to be able to. And and it's nothing against Derrick Henry. The, the guy's amazing, right? Like, I, I love the player, 
but you're starting to look at a guy where you've literally seen him at his ceiling multiple times and running backs they only have so much longevity uh and when he's had the workload that he's had at some point the wheels are gonna fall off so I'm not even saying like he could still do it again this season. Heck, he could probably maybe even do it for the next two seasons. But you better be hoping that you do hit on that and that you're just going to ride him into the ground because you're not going to be able to trade him. You can barely trade him now because so many people are starting to see this happening. And even if he puts together another season, people are going to say he's continued out liar, continued out liar. The moral of the story in this scenario is you don't want to miss on your first round. Uh, and I feel like this is a particular situation where you need the absolute best to happen because if it doesn't, that first rounder could be worth almost nothing if he gets injured, doesn't produce the way that people expected him to, etc. So I just, especially when you have Saquon Kamara on the board, I can't take a guy. And again, this is coming from Mr. Uh, production over potential sometimes. Uh, that's too much production over potential uh, to rationalize that pick in my eyes. Yeah, Mike, anything to add there? I know you were also a Derrick Henry owner. Are you riding him into the sunset on any other teams right now? I love me some Derrick Henry. That was another trade that Max and I made back in the, back last season, I, acquiring him for, uh, you know, uh, even, even then, it, uh, you only got one first out of that deal, and that was trading him uh, before he even went off for the second half of this, this season. I have experienced exactly what you said, Dan, that firsthand um, not being able to move this guy for – a penny you know the he people want to stay away i would definitely say if someone would give you a penny for him but uh <laughs> would you would they give you a rashad penny <laughs> would they give you a, oh see i slipped that in there max i slipped that in there on purpose so i just think yeah it, when you're drafting in the first round you're drafting in in a startup you're drafting value in tr at worst tradability uh to be able to man maneuver as i said earlier in, in the episode to if you can identify uh, mid-season that this is not your year you want to be able to move off of that guy if you need to and Derrick Henry not a lot of people are buying if you're selling him so uh, I just I can't get behind that as a as, at the 109 I can't yeah if you guys want to keep circling back to Rashad Penny you can go check my Twitter feed from literally today uh, Mr. Mr. Russell Clay from Fantasy Gurus, one of my favorites, um, had had a great little tweet about uh, his his undying love for Rashad Penny and Nikhil Harry, and I chimed in and I said, "Rashad Penny truthers unite!" Here Instant heart for Mr. <laughs> Russell Clay, one of the, one of the smartest guys in the industry. But um, yeah, Derek Henry, I want to take this to you know we've we've hit on the workload before. But I also want to hit on another point that that kind of complements, you know, talking about how, you know, how much workload he's just had over the last couple of years. He was RB3 this past season on a 2,000-yard rushing season. Yeah. I love Derrick Henry. I was drafting Derrick Henry in startups in 2017, right? But his inability to contribute in the passing game, I mean, a 2,000-yard rushing season, you're not the number one running back in fantasy football. Yeah. If his rushing ability, which is, I mean, it's unparalleled. There's few guys we've seen like this. But if his rushing ability or, you know, any injuries pop up diminishes over the coming years, I mean, he is not a pass catcher. He does not have that floor to fall back on. He has 896 rushing attempts in the last three years. That is no joke. Um, it's tough. It's tough to bet on an outlier for that long. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah. Let's flip to a guy that 
kind of has had the opposite thing going, right? Not really a full workload, but was still RB5 last year. Mike, I know Aaron Jones coming off the board at RB15, you saw that as a huge value in this draft. 100%. I just, you know, I see him as a guy that can, you know, it might sound a little crazy, but he was putting up numbers uh, over the past couple of years slightly comparable to Derrick Henry's. Um, so, you know, he, he finished in two th- uh, uh, last year. He was RB5. The year before that, RB2, both in PPR. Um, and, you know, this this guy has just been extremely efficient his entire career. Uh, just last year, for example, he uh, was third in yards per carry out of, uh, you know, out of qualifiers who had 100 plus carries. Uh, I believe that Nick Chubb was number two. And can you guys guess who was number one in yards per carry last year? 100 plus? Hundred plus carries. Rashad Penny. You're talking <laughs> J.K. Dobbins. So, oh, yeah. There we so, go. Uh, you know, just it, I just see him as a guy that is not going to fade away uh, quite as easily as he ages. I know that he had just gotten a new um, a new shiny contract, four years with. Obviously, those contracts have have uh, loopholes. It has an out uh, after year two. But even if we see something happen with Aaron Rodgers, you know, I still think that this guy is going to be an absolutely crucial part of their offense. And they proved that by re-signing him for a, a large sum. Uh, and I just I, I would smash that pick as the RB15. Give me Aaron Jones. Totally fair. Yeah, 62% snap share last year. That's all he had, still putting up monster numbers. And I love how it's Mike's first time on the show, and he's throwing us trivia questions while I'm trying to plan my next transition. (laughs) So before we go a little deeper down the running back hole, um, I just want to hit on something. Dan and I are RB enthusiasts and, you know, we love to try to hammer home. You know, we want to help you guys build a stud RB core on some of your dynasty teams. So I just want to drive home just how much of difference makers the top running backs are in dynasty. So I think this is the, probably the third podcast in a row credit to this stat from the God, Mr. Rich Rebar. Um, But just to set the, just to set the table here. So last year, the wide receiver 12 produced 71% of the fantasy points of the wide receiver one for running backs. The RB 12 only produced 56% of what the RB one produced. Now, if you flip that to wide receiver 24 and look at the wide receiver one output, it's still 59% of the wide receiver one. Like that's a pretty high floor. It drops to 44% of the fantasy production when you look at the RB24 versus the RB1. The reason we focus on these top rounds in Dynasty and the running backs you get there is because the top shelf running backs are still just no doubters as the biggest difference makers in fantasy. Um Later on, you know, you can like move around the board, take some shot on different people, but you got to get these studs early. It has to happen. Agreed. Yeah, it's 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 you need to prioritize those, especially in 14 team uh, in our uh, scenario. Uh, you need to make sure you're leaving uh, the second round with at least uh, one running back or else you're really going to be behind the ball there. Yeah, you just can't. It's so hard to make up that production. Um, But let's flip to some guys that went later in the draft. You know, I think uh, we kind of labeled these more for the contenders side of the uh, of the zealous drafters. Um, Melvin Gordon in the ninth, Fournette in the 10th and Drake in the 11th. Dan, I know these were guys that you singled out. Talk to me about your favorite. 
Yeah, and again, like I, this is uh, we, we put that preface contenders only, right? Like these are these are guys that you're um, looking to be able to get production out of this year, and at least have proven that they can produce uh, high end RB two to RB one types of numbers, right? So to get them in that area, I mean, you had like Gainwell uh, or Moster going before Melvin Gordon, you had Moss or Pollard going before Fournette, and like Connor or uh, Chuba in in front of Drake, like. I would easily, if I'm in a situation where I want to win this year, uh, I'm going to pick up those guys. Uh, I'm probably only one of them, maybe two, depending on my team structure there. Um, but this is where you do have to kind of decide in these later rounds, what's my team going to be doing? Because as Mike said, like there's going to be some guys that are just going to fall and other people are going to continue to look at uh, potential, the younger kind of flashy guys. And you just got to kind of decide, hey, I, they've fallen too far and I want to be able to take advantage of this value, especially in 14, because you really need to be able to have some guys that you can start and put up some production there. So I, I just overall, it's just interesting to see these guys that again, at some point in their careers were being drafted well above that. Uh, but now just due to their age uh, in some team situations uh, have fallen to a place where they could be some great values. Yeah, Mike, I don't have the draft board memorized, buddy, but were any of these your picks? Cause I know you were definitely pushing the chips in. No, I, I can definitely say that. Uh, yeah. Gordon Fournette and Drake, definitely not. But I will say uh, for instance, a guy that I might have taken that was falling, falling, falling that I personally felt has great value this year was Mike Davis uh at i think at the 1001 um you know a, another guy that if i'm contending that year and he's playing well then i can absolutely just hold on to him and if not you can always flip him to someone else that needs a running back as we talked about there's going to be people that left yeah without those top tier running backs and if Mike i think Davis you'd be hits, able to sell him right now with uh, that picture of his quads that just came out alone so i, was, I think you could sell him as an rb1 just in that scenario <laughs> i would say for that exact reason i would never sell him because of those quads. <laughs> but yes absolutely absolutely i do love every jamoke on twitter that that tweeted that picture and said and people say jb and hawkins is small and then every <laughs> response is just that's mike that's so, so Dan, let's let's keep on the running back train though before we close it out because there were some uh, kind of fringy rookie running backs that I think you saw go off the board in like the eighth, ninth, tenth. You know, some of these names that are that are a little flashy, shiny new toys that you wanted to hit on just before we move into the wide receiver side of things. Yeah, and nothing too much uh, to to really say with these guys other than it is funny. It's just always you see the new names always float uh, uh, up the, the draft board, maybe a little bit more than I feel like they should. I think I feel like in this class in particular, it's you've got your top three um, with uh, Javante Williams, uh, Travis Etienne, and of course, Najee Harris. Uh, and then these guys, it's kind of, you almost, you, you, you're drafting them for full aspiration. I mean, I love uh, Trey Sermon being able to go to uh, a Shanahan offense and see what happens with the 12 other running backs that they have there, right? Like it's, it's he, his potential is great, but also it could be just like owning any other San Francisco running back has been over the past little while, which is a total headache. So I like these guys. Uh, I do across the board, Max, uh, I think you pointed out Trey Sermon is someone who's going to start to rocket up draft boards uh, in after the draft happened. Uh, just because he's going to be someone that could be really fun to watch. Uh, Kenny Gainwell, I was a big fan of him. And then uh, Chuba was uh, a darling uh, before this particular draft uh, because he didn't perform so well this last season. They all have great potential. I just felt like they were drafted a little too high uh, than they should have been. You had Trey Sermon uh, in the mid-eighth. You had Kenny Gainwell in the late ninth. And you had uh, Chuba in the late 11th. Not saying it's terrible value, but it, it was just maybe a little higher than I would have wanted to see those guys. 
Yeah, one of the names that's interesting to me here, and I don't disagree with your point at all, Kenny Gainwell in the NFL is going to be so interesting because this is a guy that kept Antonio Gibson off the field at the running back position yeah. at Memphis and just absolutely blew up in you know the uh, in the 2019 season. And we didn't get to see him at all in 2020. So I'm super intrigued just from a straight-up football perspective to see how Kenny Gainwell comes into the NFL. Uh, but I agree. Some of these rookies getting pushed up you know i don't necessarily mind it but i can totally see your point especially someone like chuba going in the 11th behind someone like mccaffrey i mean you're basically drafting you know at that point a very high-end handcuff but someone yeah. who's probably not going to see a lot of playing time. yeah exactly so not to dig on it but it's just an interesting thing it's a phenomenon that happens every year right they float up and there's certainly some that are going to hit but some that you might feel later on uh, maybe it's a little high yeah, so let's get into the wide receivers. Got a couple of those to talk about here. So Allen Robinson, a uh, longtime favorite of mine. Uh, Mike, you had him circled as a value coming off at the 503. He was the wide receiver, 17 off the board. Tell me a little bit about Allen Robinson. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's Mr. Underappreciated. Uh, you know, we've the talking point for for everyone obviously is that he this man has been, uh, you know, left out to dry with some of his QB options over the years finally has a guy like uh, Justin Fields coming in to really hopefully uh, take a hold of that Bears offense. Oh, wait, no, sorry. Andy Dalton is a QB one. I forgot to uh, I forgot to yes. note that. Yes. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, this guy last year finished as a wide receiver nine in PPR. year before that, wide receiver seven. Goes off the board, as you said, as the wide receiver 17. Uh, I know we're in dynasty here, but this guy has just proven that he is just absolutely elite, um, can just – absorb a uh you know a, a crazy target share he's averaged over 100 receptions in a hundred uh 1200 yards over the past two seasons he's been extremely productive even with subpar quarterback play you know this is it, there's some question marks about his future he was just franchise tagged obviously uh and we don't know where he's headed next but the hope is that it really hits uh with justin fields which i think it will with his deep ball uh, and I could see him easily finishing as a top five wide receiver this year. Personally, I think you could see him uh, people shift on him kind of like how uh, they did with Stefan Diggs uh, and how he was taken in the third round of our draft this year. Uh, I know that Allen Robinson's a bit older, but I just love the value there at the 503. I was personally trying to trade up, but he just people weren't budging. Yeah, I don't really think it matters where he goes next season if he's not on the Bears. I mean, this is a man that once had over 1,300 yards playing with Blake Bortles. Exactly. So I think no yeah, matter exactly. where he lands, he will land on his feet. Um, this next name is interesting. Um, been a fun name, especially for Dan and I to monitor our differences mm -hmm. on where we rank him in Dynasty over the course of uh, working together for this show. Julio Jones goes at the 704 wide receiver 33 off the board maybe i just feel old saying that julio <laughs> jones is wide receiver 33 off the board but mike talk to me about julio jones yeah i i mean i'm kind of tooting my own horn here I'll, I'll let it be known that this was my pick uh i was fiending for some wide receiver talent during the mid rounds uh you know this is a guy that I it's almost as if people have just completely lost any memory of what this guy has done over the past six years. I understand that he's 32 years old and in a dynasty age is extremely important to people. But what's most important to me is players that are showing signs of decline. If you have guys like AJ Green that are around that same age range and you saw a sharp decline in his productivity uh, with Julio, you know, he's finished as a top end wide receiver one 
the past six years, and I, when I say top end, I'm talking top six kind of production. Uh, he definitely he had his uh, one of the first really lingering injuries of his career, or at least in the past six or seven years. He's been pretty damn consistent. Uh, but he played nine games last year. Six of those games, he scored over 15 points in PPR, uh, over 20 points in three of those games. And in two of those nine games, he played less than 30% of the snaps due to that hamstring injury. Uh, this is definitely a win-now pick because there's absolutely guys going around that ADP uh, that if they hit on their potential, they could end up being more valuable for longer than Julio. But I just think wide receiver 33 off the board for a guy that could easily finish top 10 again this year. I'm, I'm doing that all day. I just want to pause this this moment. Julio Jones, one of my all-time favorite players. Um, I want to pause to appreciate this man because every year we bring him up going into the season, yep. and I don't know when it's going to be the last. Exactly. I have no idea. Julio Jones is 6'3", 220 pounds. I don't know if you guys know this. I don't know how many of our listeners know this. Julio Jones ran a 4.39 at the combine. He hmm. ran that 4.39 on a broken foot. <laughs> Julio Jones went to the combine. I'm going to say this again. And he ran a 4.39 with a broken foot. Dang. I I just, I agree with Mike. I mean, he's one of those guys in the fantasy community. People cry about him not getting the touchdowns. This is one of the no doubt Hall of Famers of the last 10, 20 years. Um, I would love to see him play until he breaks his foot again. I mean, this guy is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, Mike, I mean, for a contending team to grab a guy with his skill set, uh, I know there's some trade fire right now, right? None of us know what's going to happen. Um, I think Julio Jones could be successful wherever Ex- he goes. Exactly I right. really talk about care. QB proof. I think uh, easily one of the better ones that you could easily count on getting uh, his no matter where he goes. Yeah. yeah. So anytime I have uh, the ability to retrospectively just look at uh, what he did at the combine and this, this is athleticism. I mean, the guy's unbelievable. But this is the point in the draft, right? It's really hard to mess up the first two rounds. You can mess up the rounds three through four, five, six, seven. Once you get to seven and eight, this is where you see it get dicey. And, you know, Dan, I know this is something you've talked about before. Like, after round eight, like, just throw ADP out the window. Yeah. Go get your guys. Yeah. So there was a lot of moving up and down the board here. Talk to me about, especially in the lens of wide receiver and some of the guys you liked, you know, Talk about doubling up your chances, trading back, like grabbing some of these guys to, to, to mine some hits in the mid rounds. Yeah, exactly. I, I, as you said, like ADP kind of goes out the window at a certain point. So a, we play this game because it's fun, right? So it's go get your guy. If you have someone in this round that you're really just passionate, for, uh, passionate about, you feel like you're reaching a little bit, go get them if you want to. But otherwise, if you feel like you don't have a particular guy in that area that you're absolutely going to have on your team, um, trade back. There's going to be someone who does want to go get their guy, and they're going to give you um, probably either a a pick that's later in that round, or you can double up on uh, picks that are two rounds later and grab some rookie picks along the way. If you're not absolutely passionate about getting one of your guys, trade back because there's so many guys in this realm that could easily... Uh, outproduce one another right like I think ADP like you're going to see those that are kind of trending up because it's the group think of like who people think should be in that area honestly when you're getting to those wide receiver twos wide receiver threes especially in this kind of area double up pick a couple guys so that if you miss on one you hopefully hit on the other 
uh, and you really don't lose anything in that regard. So I think it's just a great strategy to, at that point, um, be able to just double up on your chances uh, because the chances of hitting in your like last five picks are way less than being able to double up in those middle rounds where there's some really juicy uh, kind of talent and opportunity that sits there. So two guys that I thought in particular, I was like, oh man, this is definitely, they they fell to a point where it's easily some amazing ups- upside for them is uh, Jalen Rager and Darnell Mooney. Uh, I think are two guys where I was like, man, that's awesome. They both went in the 10th round. Uh, I think they're rock solid wide receiver twos, certainly on their own teams uh, that have the ability to produce same thing for uh, for fantasy. And they both got uh, nice QB upgrades there uh, with Fields coming along the way and Jalen Hurts, uh, who's taken over for Carson Wentz. Because, yeah, I said it. Jalen Hurts is better than Carson Wentz in a lot of ways. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no disagreement from me there. Uh, I want to hit on on uh, Jalen Rager real quick because uh, I was lucky enough to grab him in the 10th round. I mean, this is someone that you and I talked about last year on the show. Yep. Early breakout at TCU great speed burst great special teams contributor in college um didn't have a great rookie year 31 receptions 400 yards that eagles team was a total mess was absolutely awful very much looking forward to seeing his sophomore season because i agree with you i think there's a lot of upside there totally agree so let's close it out and i want to go real fast boys because we're running long tight end i punted the position i didn't i I, we were wondering if I was even going to have a tight end when this draft ended. I think I took my tight end in like round 17 or 18 or something like that. Mike, there was a tight end that came off in the middle of the draft. He goes by the name of Johnny Smith, a guy that we all like in his own right. We're all Pats fans, but tell me a little bit about why you weren't a huge fan of this pick. Yeah, totally. And it's, it's funny. Henry went off at the eight Oh two and then John directly after him. So I, you know, I, I absolutely love Johnu and what he brings to the table uh, for a fantasy team. Uh, but in the eighth round, that is just too rich of an ADP for me. Uh, you had wide receivers sitting there like Tyler Lockett, uh, Adam Thielen. You had rookies like Terrace Marshall that absolutely could have been taken. I just think that, you know, Johnu is a fantastic player who will score touchdowns, but the targets... I have never quite been there. I'm not so sure that there's going to be more targets to be had this year with the Patriots. Uh, I'm just not the biggest fan of of jumping for him in the eighth round. So let's talk and flip to the tight end that you did like. TE25 coming off the board. Old man, Mr. Jared Cook. Absolutely. Old man indeed. So, you know, we're talking 14th round here. So you either you have your dart throw potential guys that are sitting there, uh, guys that are handcuffs for running backs. Um, or just wide receiver threes on their own team. With Jared Cook, if you're someone, for instance, like you guys said, you did not focus too much on the tight end position. If you're someone that had pretty much slept on that position the entire draft and he's sitting there, I just think that he's the kind of guy that has top 12 potential this year with his landing spot with Justin Herbert. There's still targets to be had uh, there with, you know, you got Austin Eckler there, Keenan Allen, both huge target hogs, uh, and Mike Williams will take away some of that work. But I just think... He's a huge touchdown threat, has proven that over his career to be an absolute red zone, red zone monster. Uh, you know, is he a lock to put in lots of production for you at the tight end position? No, he disappeared at times last year. But I just think if I can take him, uh, especially if I hadn't taken any tight ends, I'm, I'm doing that all day long in the 14th round. All right, Dan, bring us home. Coming off the board at the 1506. You guys weren't going to let me talk about how much I love Adam Trotman. So let's bring it home <laughs> with Mr. Anthony Ferkser to close out the show. Yeah. I mean, 
Ryan Tannehill had a top 10 uh, uh, quarterback season last season. Like, right off the bat, like, you've got a qualified quarterback. Um, and then you look at who left. Uh, you had Corey Davis and Jonu Smith, the guy that we were talking about, uh, take off. That's 157 vacated targets going into the season. And it's not like they don't use the tight end position, because, of course, if we're saying Jonu Smith just left, he got a decent amount of targets. There was 130 targets up for grabs um, to Tennessee tight ends last season. And Ferkser got 50-plus of those. So now you don't have really anyone sitting behind him on the depth chart there. They're going to continue to use it because the only real quote-unquote weapon that they brought in is Josh Reynolds. So he's, he's going to just fall into target share uh, by default with the way that the team's structured here. And he did pretty good with his uh, targets when he got them last time. So I just think it's a no-brainer where when you're going to have a late-round tight end, you just need to target guys who are going to get volume. And I know that the Tennessee Titans don't throw as much as other teams, but when you're talking about you really only have maybe three targetable uh, receivers when it comes to uh, the Tennessee Titans, he's more than worth the, uh, the upside potential there. Yeah, tight end premium league, maybe not so premium. You're grabbing <laughs> a lot of these guys late. So exactly. great job, boys. Marathon show here. Um, I love it. Position by position breakdown, a lot of good stuff. So before we get out of here, Mike, awesome job, by the way. Um, you, you know, you, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the show, you do a lot of great polls on Twitter, a lot of great engagement on the Moose account. Um, so why don't you give yourself a little plug and tell people where they can find you on Twitter? Yeah, totally. So um, you can find me at DFF Moose uh, on Twitter. I basically, you know, I'm a, I'm a trading fiend. So I usually, I like to post polls up there, seeing what people are thinking about different trades, different player uh, comparisons, you know, just getting a gauge for how people are thinking about uh, certain players during the off season and during the season. So um, I've loved coming on with the show here with you guys, and definitely I'll uh, I'll be running that Dynasty Dynamic Twitter page as we go forward. So yeah, awesome. huge shout out, Dan and I are lazy, so thank you for taking over that account. <laughs> yes, of course. sir, of course. Um, the uh, yeah, the Moose account gets great engagement. I love seeing people voting in those things. I know there are always trades that you're probably either have in your queue or sending out to others. Absolutely. So it's always nice to get a little window into your uh, trade addiction there. <laughs> uh, we will love to have you back on the show. But getting out of here for today, after a marathon 47-minute show, Woo. getting out of here, this is the Dynasty Dynamic. You stay classy, Dynasty Leaguers. Thanks for tuning in.